I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. A special edition of Inside Sources, live from the Utah State Capitol on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. This is Taylor Morgan, joined by Marty Carpenter. We are here, Marty, in our last segment today, broadcasting live from the Supreme Court chamber in the State Capitol building. It is the last day of the legislative session. Uh, typically, it goes right up until 11:59 p.m. on the last day of the session. We've had a few predictions from Speaker Wilson and President Adams in the Senate that we might get done a few minutes before then, but you seem to be pretty confident in your prediction that we were going to go right up into the wire. It seems like every year about this time, shortly after lunch on the last day, people start thinking, we are going to be done early. We're going to be done early. And then we never are. (laughs) It gets to be about 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock, and someone will say, no, we got too much on the board. We've been sauntering too much, which is what the <laughs> primarily what the Senate does to say, hey, we're just going to walk around for a little bit and kill some time. Sauntering is a great word. I like sauntering. I feel like we yeah. don't use sauntering nearly enough. It's a legislative-only word, and that is a shame. I'm going sure. to start using that at home. I also think it's highly possible that most people listening don't really care what time we get out of here tonight. <laughs> it's well, only those of us who are potentially going to be stuck up here till midnight or beyond. That's a um, fair point. I, I will make a plug, though. Listeners... Regardless of how connected you are to the just to politics right in Utah, I would recommend that maybe for date night, Marty, I don't know, come up to the Capitol tonight. It is going to be going on until close to midnight. Stop by, sit in the in the galleries and watch uh, the final hours of the legislative session play out. Uh, They'll be here and. Honestly, Marty, I think it's more interesting than many people think. Maybe I'm just a political nerd. No, well, that is definitely true that you are, but that doesn't mean that people wouldn't find it interesting. If for no other reason than even if you don't like politics and you can come up and figure out which bills might die on the board, which means they won't actually get her to get a vote on the floor tonight. You can figure out which legislator is sponsoring that and watch that person sweat a little bit while their bill maybe almost makes it but doesn't make it. Every year there's some stuff that dies on the board um, though if they're going to get done early, you know, maybe they get through everything or maybe they just sort of agree that things are going to not uh, not come forward and get pushed off for yeah. study in the interim. That's always the case. This process really never ends, although certainly the 45-day session does wrap tonight. Yeah. Marty, let's talk about elections and election bills. Great. We have seen a lot of uh, pieces of legislation, a lot of ideas floated this session uh, that would impact the way that we choose uh, candidates and elected officials here in Utah. Uh, we have in Utah, we have a very unique dual path process to the primary election ballot. Uh, we've had that since 2014, uh, following, uh, the count my vote initiative, uh, an effort that I was involved with mm-hmm. Utah's voter participation rate is way up. A lot of that has to do with vote by mail. Right. Utah has gone to a full state by mail process since also 2014. Uh, So that combined with having a lot of primary elections has gotten more Utahns involved in the process. Um, We've seen the legislature kind of 
tinker around the edges of that process this year. Um, what can you tell us about your experience working on the Herbert campaigns and, and how that nomination process works and perhaps what doesn't work? So I've been a communication director, a campaign manager, and a senior advisor in each of the respective last three gubernatorial campaigns. And so I've seen this process play out. In fact, I ran Governor Herbert's 2016 campaign, which I would say was the first statewide campaign that ran under the new yeah. dual path system. Um, I have a lot of strong feelings about it. I think that I start with the principle that we should want more people involved in choosing our elected representatives. We talk about all the great work that's going on up here, and we can feel great about it at, no matter what your policy position is on any particular issue. You can feel good about it if you know that the people who are up here represent the people who are not up here, the people who voted for, to send these people to represent them in the House, in the Senate, in the governor's office to put that final signature. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. And so as long as you know you've got a process that's getting you to that point that involves the broadest coalition you can, the, the, the broadest spectrum of voters, the more people who will participate in that process, the better. And I think we should always default to, like, how do we get more people involved in this process? And to me, that's always been you have a primary election with all of the voters voting and, and not limit it uh, so much to the, to the caucus campaigns or the caucus convention system where fewer people, you, you have to delegate your vote earlier in that system yeah. than you do otherwise. So as having done a campaign on the state level, right, for Governor Herbert, uh, both at caucus convention and in a primary election, mm -hmm. what are the differences in how you communicate to those different groups of voters, right? Because certainly we have seen and in, in studies show that the priorities of uh, the caucus convention delegates can often be different than the priorities and interests of, of just the uh, mainstream voter. Yeah. Well, it's a numbers game, right? So when you're dealing with the convention, you're dealing with 4,000 delegates. I have to talk to 4,000 people. I have a really good idea of what their interests are and what they care about. And frankly, I can buy them T-shirts and hats, and I can, I can go influence their vote. I can have them come to cottage meetings, and I can buy dinner. I can do all these things to try to influence that group. When you're talking about a full primary where you have to talk to all registered Republicans, in my case, uh, in the state, you have to speak more broadly to that group. And so, yes, it is more expensive because you have to buy TV commercials and radio commercials and you have to now have a digital presence and be all over the, the web and target them. And it's, it's changed so much from 2012, uh, the first time I did it, to the 2020 campaign when we did it uh, in, in a gubernatorial, gubernatorial election uh, in that case. But, um, you know, it's, it's not... 
it is a different message because you can say the smaller group cares about this, the broader group probably cares more about these things, and then you target individual segments of that voting block. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I think the idea is that the more candidates involved, the more options on the ballot for voters, and the more voters we have engaged in that process, right? Whether it's caucus convention, whether it's a primary, whether, you know, regardless of what party it is, because in Utah we have more than just two registered political parties. We have several. Uh, the idea is that the more Utahns we have engaged in the process, the better the process is and the better elected officials we get yeah. from the process. There are basically uh, like two, maybe three changes I would make to the current system. One is um, the threshold is really high for the number of signatures you have to get. For a statewide office, it's 28,000. That's a lot of signatures. It forces almost everyone to have to pay a service to go get those signatures. Yeah, that's so true. I would lower the threshold. Yeah. Or allow for digital signatures. It is the year 2023. We sign a lot of things digitally. You sign DocuSign things for you know buying a house or whatever you do. You can yeah, do that digitally. We should be able to do that, um, which means to me you could keep the threshold as high and do digital signatures because it becomes less expensive to go get those signatures. And the other uh, element to that I would say is that you should be able to sign a petition for more than one candidate because you're signing a petition essentially saying, I want to hear more from this person. It's not a vote. You should be able to sign more than one petition. Yeah. Those will be my arguments. Three quick fixes, and I think you've got a really, really good system. Yeah, I, I agree with those. And I think speaking on behalf of Count My Vote, from my experience there, the intent behind signatures was never to create a paid signature gathering industry. The intent was to force candidates mm -hmm to get out and talk to their voters and get those voters engaged in the process. And we didn't right? bring it up when the lieutenant governor was here just a few minutes ago, but it's her office that has to go work with county clerks to verify all those yeah. signatures. It creates a real laborious process where if you could just sign more than one and you could sign it digitally, we'd be able to prove it. It'd be done and no problem there. And on the caucus convention side of things, you know, I've always appreciated that path to the ballot. I've been involved uh, in caucus meetings. There are some things that... Uh, perhaps the parties could do to yeah. improve their own process. Yeah. Right. Well, Marty, it's been a great show. Again, Love hanging out here. Broadcasting yeah, a lot of fun. live from the Capitol building. Uh, listeners tune in next to Jeff Kaplan and get up here to the Capitol tonight. If you're looking for a fun date night and, and watch what happens on the boards in both chambers, because uh, it can often be very venter, very entertaining on this last day, but parking is limited. So <laughs> come up early. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Stick around. Jeff Kaplan is coming up next. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City, team coverage, Eye on the Hill 2023, live at the Utah State Capitol on KSL News Radio, your all day companion for news. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.